turn back with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going to kind of anchor in chapter 11, going a little backwards from our Corinthians study, to do two things. We want to kind of look at and prepare our hearts for communion while, while also just remembering Thanksgiving or remember uh, being thankful for Thanksgiving, which may seem redundant, but sometimes we become so familiar with the term that it loses its its power. I hope you guys enjoyed not only just Thanksgiving Day, but just kind of the Thanksgiving week and the festivities and the and the family that that surrounds it. But you may have noticed some changes. You may have noticed if you watch the news or uh, the media that Thanksgiving's a little different now. They describe it a little differently. Maybe you haven't been listening. Maybe you haven't been watching and you're, you're better off if you haven't. But this is the new Thanksgiving. Did you know that Thanksgiving's really about racism? That really Thanksgiving is a celebration of when the Americans smuggled in smallpox on the blankets and blankets to make sure and try to genocide the Indians. And so Thanksgiving is really an event and a celebration of of the enslavement of Indians, the the genocide of Indians. And the pilgrims were just arrogant oppressors. Now, that may seem ridiculous to you, Um, This is what's being taught at the university right now. And so right now, if you go to college, a secular college, this is what they're teaching and training uh, the next generation. And so as the next generation is learning this and and going into media, this is what's being propagated in the newspapers, uh, on the, the news reports. And so when you listen and watch interviews about Thanksgiving, well... How could anybody in their right mind celebrate Thanksgiving? Celebrate such a a horrible event? Well, the problem with that is, you know, you don't get to just like redefine what 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 an event is. But we do, don't we? And so that's kind of the the slippery slope. Because slowly but surely, Thanksgiving has become, well, a lot of things. Thanksgiving has become football day, right? And, you know, people generally don't think of that as being a bad or wicked thing. But Thanksgiving is not about football. That is not the original intent of what Thanksgiving was. It may be something that we do and celebrate now. But I'm sorry for those of you who enjoy watching six games on Thursday. It's not about football. So what is Thanksgiving? Well, Thanksgiving was... A specific marker by specific and real people and this is why it's really important to us now even more than ever to get our arms wrapped around what fact is what truth is what uh, historical realities are rather than just revision history and so these markers ironically enough were placed so that we don't forget and Instead of forgetting, we're just erasing. Uh, and we have several markers. Well, we, we had the pilgrims. 
And the pilgrims' original intent, and the original intent of the pilgrims was to to set aside a, a, a moment and a, an opportunity to celebrate. Remember who the pilgrims are. These are, are, are religious people. Now, yes, on the ship were also you know carpenters and, and normal people, but this ship with this vessel was leased to bring about this religious group of people not conquerors not warriors not soldiers and after the first year there was only 53 left half of them died because of you know the the elements of winter and the sickness and how that um, worked together and so for the first thanksgiving the the indians who the the settlers the pilgrims had had met with and, and lived with and harmonized with they had a feast they had a celebration the irony of all ironies that I still love for the revisionist to explain is, well, you can't really have it both ways. You can't have this this conquering boat of, of women and children and religious fanatics, right, come to America and and have and break bread with people who they, I guess, were trying to kill and wipe out. Meanwhile, the people who were there in the thousands, not 53, but the thousands, as soon as they saw this boat coming over, and if they were vicious, ruthless savages, would have just wiped them out the second they got on the shore. So neither one of those can be true, right? Or maybe two different people, two different civilizations, two different ideologies learned to live together and then broke bread in a feast and a celebration, which is what happened. Because if any one or the other were true, then one side would be totally wiped out within month one, forget year one. And so this, this Christian idea that was brought forth by, by William Bradford, who was one of the leaders of the pilgrims, they, they took these ideas from the Old Testament, from all the different feasts that they used to have in the Old Testament. They would have these seven-day feasts, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and so the idea behind Thanksgiving was, well, let's get together and, and have this feast and this party that actually lasted three days, a three-day celebration. We saw that George Washington, when he became president, he kind of began this process of a, a national day of prayer and public Thanksgiving and praise. A National Day of Prayer, Thanksgiving, and Praise. So he kind of combined a bunch of things. But it wasn't until Abraham Lincoln came along, and this is really important. In the middle of the Civil War, so in the middle and the height of anger, hostility, and, and people killing each other, right? In order to unite America, in order to create and, and to anchor on an event, one event that had nothing to do with North and South, had nothing to do with free or slave, had nothing to do with all the different politics. The most uniting, non-race-focused event they could think of was this, this idea of thanksgiving, being thankful, setting out a, a time in, in the year where, as a nation, while the nation is being ripped in half, we're going to celebrate our unity and our thanksgiving. That's when Thanksgiving really started to take its, its form that we would see today. And then it wasn't until FDR in 1941 actually officially made it, you know, the last Thursday uh, of November. 
And so when we see this, this, this progress of what Thanksgiving is, we, we get a clearer and a better sense of, well, what it's not, what it's never been. It's never been a, a, a celebration of, of the, the sinful acts. Again, think of, think of the Civil War. It wasn't a celebration of, of the things and the atrocities that were going on in the Civil War. Instead, it was a, let's take the, the, a step aside and focus on what's good and what's right, what's wholesome, and, and unite around that. And so this, too, is still a great reminder for us. And built within the name is, this event is about being thankful. It's about being thankful, being grateful. And one of the worst things uh, for, for us as humans in our self-centeredness and our selfishness is, is when we focus on ourselves. it's really hard to have a heart of gratitude because you expect, you want, and it's all about you. So today we want to look at Thanksgiving, we want to celebrate Thanksgiving by, by being more thankful about Thanksgiving itself. And we, we can do this in three ways. Uh, we want to be thankful for God's providence. We want to be thankful for God's people. And we want to be thankful for God's provision. And we, we see God working in the word. And we see him working in his people. We see him working in the pilgrims. And so I just kind of wanted to, to, to break that down and, and, and take a look at what scripture has to say about thankfulness. So the first way we celebrate uh, being thankful or thanksgiving is by being thankful for God's providence. Well, why thankful? Well, back to the, to the, to the word. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, as Jesus is sitting down and getting ready to celebrate communion, just like we're getting ready to do. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy matter shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And so when Jesus comes together and is celebrating Passover with the apostles, and he's getting ready to change Passover from Passover, a Jewish event, to communion, a Christian event. As he's doing that, in the act of doing that, they're getting ready to eat, and, and, he, and the first thing he does is he says, well, let, let, let's give thanks. Let's give thanks. And so one of the questions should be, well, you know, well, what do we give thanks for? Well, very clearly within the context of this, we're, we're, we're going to give thanks for, for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he gave his body for us, that his blood, the, the, the cup, the representation of the cup in his blood was a payment for sin for us. But remember, again, in the context here, 
Jesus hasn't died yet, right? So the apostles are sitting here and, and they're thinking, okay, this is Passover. And we're remembering the event of Passover, remembering when just because you put by faith blood upon your doorpost, the angel of death would pass by and not strike the firstborn dead. And so they were remembering that act and they were thankful. They were thankful for the mercy that God had given them on that great day of Passover. And so that conjures up all kinds of things to give thanks for. What else are we thankful for? Give thanks. Be thankful. And so we want to ask ourselves, well, how? How how do we process being thankful? We, We really should probably be able to spend hours just sitting by ourselves alone, communing with God, being thankful one thing after another. If, if, you're, if you're struggling in your prayer life, if you're struggling to know how to pray, one, be thankful. Start thanking God for every little thing you can possibly think of. And so while we're going to look at three things here, there's numerous amounts of things we can be thankful for. But the first thing I want to look at as we're kind of tying it in even with with Thanksgiving is this idea of being thankful for God's providence. What's God's providence? God's providence is it's God's protective care. It's his care through his divine power and his divine will. And so God has a perfect plan and a purpose. And in God's plan and purpose, he providentially makes things and ensures that things happen. Well, how so? Well, God wants us to understand that he is the one in complete control. And and so when we read the Old Testament, when we go back in scriptures and we see the thread of the progress of redemption and how that works from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we, we see how God's providence ties in every little step, every little piece. And so when we see Jesus throughout the scriptures, that's God's providence taking place. And so how does that work? Well, we, we see the, the principles of, of consequences for disobedience. We see the principles of here's the law, the law given by God, creator of the universe. When God sets law, you don't break it. I don't care if it's a piece of fruit, Adam and Eve. When God sets a law, you don't break his commandments. I don't care if I chose you, nation of Israel. I don't care if you're Moses. I don't care if you're Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, or David. There are consequences for sin. And the consequence for sin is death, unless there's a payment or an atonement for sin that God lays out throughout the scriptures and we see the sacrifices we see the sacrifice with with Adam and Eve we see the sacrifices with Cain and Abel we see sacrifices with Noah with Abraham we see sacrifices throughout the Old Testament which is that thread of how the redemption process is going to work that example that we see throughout the scriptures throughout time that there will be a, a, a blood payment a substitute for you. So you're not going to die. The pigeon's going to die. The calf is going to die. The goat's going to die. 
but ultimately Christ is going to die. And so we're thankful that God providentially sustains this throughout the scriptures. We see that God promises Israel, makes promises to Israel forever. And so we see the remnant of Israel sustained throughout history, no matter how many times the nation of Israel is under attack and even close to extinction, God still saves them. Remember Joseph. When Joseph and Abraham, and there's only 70 people in the nation of Israel, and because of famine, they're going to get wiped up, wiped out. But because what Joseph's brothers meant for evil, God providentially meant for good. That God sustains the whole nation of Israel through one man, Joseph, who then is, is the right-hand man of Pharaoh, brings the rest of his family, which then saves the nation of Israel, and they go from 70 and 400 years to 2 million people. What is God showing in his providence? He's showing his control, his power. We see that he controls the universe in Psalm 103. He controls the physical world in Matthew 5.45. He controls human destiny in Galatians 1.15. Because he calls us by his grace. He cares for us. Despite what we do against him, he protects us, cares for us, and providentially has set forth his events, his people, to make sure that we're saved. This is what propels the pilgrims. What propels the pilgrims is as they're reading their Old Testament scriptures, as they're understanding how God protects his people who keep themselves separate from everybody else, who keep themselves in obedience to his word, who keep themselves faithful to the scriptures. That if we do that, God will protect us. And so the pilgrims at first leave England, go to Holland for 11 years, and then again because there's so much uh, carnality, so much wisdom of the world, so many ways of the world that's still influencing and infiltrating their church and their kids that they after years of praying they decide we need to leave and go to a different place and start over and God will honor and protect us providentially make no mistake they were clear when they got in the ship that that wasn't going to be a cruise ship it's very very difficult for us to picture because, well, those are the only kind of boat rides we go on, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, for a long time, the only boat ride I've ever been on was at, at Disneyland. Mm -hmm. You know, so the our only understanding of boat rides is typically pretty safe. You know, a lake with no waves, right? If you go on a cruise, you know, very smooth waters. They understood what crossing the Atlantic meant. They, they had heard the stories year after year of whole ships that, that didn't come back and everybody dies. They knew the risk, but they also had more faith in God, that God would honor their desire to, to flee from Catholicism and flee from the Anglican church and, and, and to flee from, from the ways of the world so that they could raise their children in a new place. And so they 
they left. And God did take care of them. It wasn't easy. Then the first year, like I said, half of them died. Even William Bradford's own wife died. It was no picnic. And yet, they didn't give up and they had thankful hearts. So, we see that God has always been providentially in charge. We see this with Job. And Job's proclamation of uh, whether the Lord giveth or the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we need to learn to be thankful that God is in control. That God is in charge. And if he can take care of Brother Job. And if he can take care of Brother Joseph. If he can take care of the pilgrims. Then he can also take care and charge of us too. And we need to be thankful for his providence. Because his providence is more powerful than our own. Well the second way we can celebrate being thankful or thanksgiving is by being thankful for, for God's people. Being thankful for God's people. Uh, come with me to Hebrews 11. It's been a while since we've been there, but Hebrews 11, it's a great reminder. We, we kind of call it the, the, the heroes of the faith, right? Beginning at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. And he considered that God is able to raise man even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So we, we see here that Abraham, when he was tested to offer up his own son, didn't just do that because... He, he knew in his mind, he understood that, that God had made a promise and that God will keep his promise and, and that God will somehow keep that promise through Isaac, who was about to be slain. But by faith, Abraham was willing to go through it. And then God spared him and brought forth the ram in the thicket. Verse 19, he considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come, understanding the future. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons, Joseph, Joseph, and worshiped, leaning on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mentions of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they knew they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell you Gideon, uh, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets. And so what we see here in, in Hebrews 11 is we see this, this list of real people, real people that we can anchor our faith in, that we can, we can as 
these brothers and sisters of ours, we can be thankful for them. We can be thankful for, for, for Noah and for Noah being, being the last one left, right? Anybody ever think that? You look around, you look in the country and you think, what is going on here? Are we the only ones left? Noah was one of eight left. We see Sarah and Sarah's barren and can't have a child and is desperately wants to have this child and has been promised that a whole nation is going to be birthed from her. And yet here she is barren. And we have her as an example. We have Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have such a cloud of witnesses that have gone out before us. And even more than that, we just studied this last week in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, in the body of Christ, that each and every one of us has been granted spiritual gifts, not for our own, but to be shared with others. And so, we're thankful, not just for God, but for God's people, past, present, and future. We, we, we need to be thankful for those who are around us. For better and for worse, Right? That's not just for marriage. <laughs> it's for each other. We're, we're, we're in this together. If, if we are the bride of Christ, then in, 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 in this metaphor, then, then we're all on evil, evil, equal ground. Right? And married together. We're in this marriage together. For better and for worse, till death do us part. And so be thankful for God's people. There's 59 occurrences in the New Testament that talk about the one another's. God's people serving one another, not only with our spiritual gifts, but our acts of service, our acts of kindness, our, our acts of prayer, whether it's cooking a meal or, or doing labor or just comforting. You are not alone in the body of Christ. That's the whole point. That's the whole picture. It's one body. We move together. Remember, if, if one hurts, then all hurt. The pilgrims were a great example of this. Uh, they, they were ambassadors, not just for their own family. They were ambassadors for the next generations. And then ultimately, they were the ambassadors for the whole nation of, of America. A city on a hill because of their legacy. They brought the gospel in earnest to America. What, what, what an amazing thing. And so we need to be thankful, not only for, for people in the Old Testament, people in the New Testament, we can be thankful for people like the pilgrims, people who, who have been the missionaries, who've gone out and proclaimed the gospel, people who've, who've translated the scriptures for us, uh, people like, like Luther, who stood against the whole system and reformed the church. So we're thankful because we've seen, we've seen what, what God's people can do and have done. And we need to be thankful for each other and for the relationships that God has uniquely given us. God has put each and every one of us in Ravensdale Bible Church. And not for the specific purpose of your own edification, but how you will edify others. Think about that. 
Think about how you're here for somebody else. Well, the third way we celebrate Thanksgiving is being thankful for, for God's provision. Not just salvation, but not excluding it. But, but God promises and does and has taken care of us. And the scriptures are filled with those examples. We, we saw in the Old Testament the nation of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years and God literally raining manna and quail from the sky. God bringing forth water from a rock. Uh, Philippians 4.19 talks about God supplying our every need. God is a provider. Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. He provides. Are we thankful for his provision? Or are we ungrateful? Or are we covetous? Or are we not content? If you're not content, you're going to covet your neighbor's stuff. You're going to be discontent. You're going to be ungrateful. Do you see how that all relates? Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do abundantly more than what we even ask or think. How many of us are, are shortchanging God in our prayers? We're, we, we, we can't even conceive and think about how he can bless and, and provide for us. Which is why then we take whatever we have for granted because eh, it should be more, it's not enough. Instead of being actually thankful for how God has provided. You guys realize that by being born in America, we've all hit the lottery. All of us. There are people in the world today without running water and electricity. How insane is that? It was crazy growing up in Los Angeles when just a couple hours away in the border of Mexico, right away, you don't have running water and electricity. That we could go down there and build them what, where we would park a, a tractor or a lawnmower, and that's called a bunkhouse with no running water and electricity. And they were weeping and crying for gratitude. And here we are complaining because our two-story, five-bedroom house and three-car garage won't fit all our stuff, right? Well, the pilgrims were, again, great examples of understanding God's provision. And in that first year, they were so challenged. And, and this is the, 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 the sad reality of, of how the revisionists have twisted and turned uh, Thanksgiving because this great and beautiful event were literally the pilgrims memorialized in humility their need for the savages to save them. I mean, you guys understand that, right? That, that the arrogant doesn't give credit to, to, to the servant. One of the great things that we have is we actually have the first-hand account from the pilgrims. They wrote things down. We have their books. William Bradford, great book. Um, and they actually documented uh, the things that happened. And in that first winter when they, they would have died, all of them, if it were not for their new friends. And again, the celebration of that, the gratitude and thankfulness of that is what that first Thanksgiving was about. 
being thankful for God's provision, how God used other people, people who could have been enemies but weren't. Such a, a beautiful thing. And so for us, we walk around with the the weight of the world. And we do. We we struggle with that and you know we live in a different life and you know we have bill collectors and it seems around every corner, right? Every corner there's a bill collector and a new different kind of bill. And if you pay something off, well, then there's a tax on the tax. So, right, you can own your house outright, but you still own taxes. You can pay taxes all your life, and if you die, your family has to pay taxes. It just never ends. Um, so we worry. But we're not to worry. We're to be thankful for God's provision. In Matthew 7, Jesus says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. That which you love most is your God. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is in darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. For this I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. Don't be anxious as to what you shall eat and what you shall drink, nor your body as to what you shall put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? The bird is on a day-to-day basis of food, right? They don't have, you know, a a freezer box. They don't have, uh, you know, shelves. They they don't have any of that. Every single day they wake up, they got to go get more food. Are we not more worthy than they? Do you not understand That the Lord God of the universe, the creator of the universe, loved us so much he sent his son to die. Loves us so much that he will make sure he provides for our needs. Do you trust that? If you trust that, you won't be anxious. If you're anxious, you're not trusting in that. Then you need some work. Verse 26, look at the birds in the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more, much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Does anxiety give you more life? No. It actually decreases that. And we, we know that to be true. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Why are you anxious about how you look? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet, I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like any one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which 
is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more do so for you? Oh, men of little faith. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? And what shall we drink? And, and with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles do. The non-believers talk like this. The non-believers don't understand where their provision comes from. For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you will need these things. God knows your needs. God knows we need electricity. God knows we need, we need warmth. God knows we need to eat. God, God understands that there's, you know, you're, you're going to get to an age where you can't work anymore and you need retirement. God knows your, your cards need fixing. He knows this. But... Verse 33. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so we can celebrate Thanksgiving by celebrating that God does provide. We're all here today, we're fine. We're, we're fine. We, we can always find somebody better. We can always find somebody who's got more. We can always covet and lust. But we're fine. God is fulfilling his promise on a daily basis to us. Here's what you have to understand. Our God is a loving father. He, he's a loving Father, His great desire is to take care of us. It is to provide for us like any good father would. And so, if we've forgotten that, then we've become ungrateful and we've become unthankful. And so it's important for us to take moments to, to, to celebrate things to be thankful for. And we're to do that each and every day. We can be thankful for God's providence. He is the one in control. He's in control. We can be thankful for God's people that he puts around us to, to help us. And we can be thankful for God's provision. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of what thankfulness is. Thank you for Thanksgiving as a country that we can be reminded that we were founded by godly people who loved you, who had faith and confidence in you. And bringing that over and establishing a new land, more people like them came. And so America became a very special place. And even though we're struggling and even though we're divided, we're still a special place. And so, Lord, help us, help us to repent, help us to, um, by being thankful, are reminded of who we're thankful to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As Arden comes up to pass out the, the elements, we're here in 1 Corinthians 11, and again, Jesus having instructed his
having instructed his disciples to be thankful. There's rules to communion, though, first. First is we're, um, we're not sinless. People partaking in communion are not sinless. We are sinners saved by God's grace. That, that's what we recognize in the celebration of communion. We're recognizing, we're remembering what Christ did on the cross. Christ died to pay for our sins on the cross. And so the celebration of communion is the belief in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That in that, that is the process of that, that blood atoning, sacrificial, substitutional payment on our behalf. And so we 